Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, and we are now back to our regular draft deep dive schedule. So I am here, as always, for draft deep dives with my co-host, hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm doing great. We're starting to get workout videos for draft prospects leaking out there um we're, we're officially getting into draft season let, let let the absurd takes begin it's funny because the first of those workout videos that i saw was a jonathan kaminga workout video <laughs> and if there's anybody that's gotten some absurd takes over the last month it's everybody else besides us you know throwing jonathan kaminga way down there on their draft boards so i'm glad that that one got out early in particular yeah, the, the poor kid has to end his G League career early because of injury, and now everyone has him around the 20th pick instead of lock for top five. So it's gotten a little out of hand, but and people are starting to overthink things, but can't wait for, for these two continue to intensify. I mean, given that the Kings are likely to fall out of the top five, I would be very happy if NBA teams continue to drop Kaminga down their board so the Kings can get him in the late half of the lottery. That'd be great. I'd be really happy with that. Yeah, I mean, with with his upside, anywhere past five is a pretty darn good deal, or at least a gamble. All right, so we are beyond the fifth pick in our prospect deep dives. In fact, we are at the 15th pick in our prospect deep dives. So let's start in today with the 15th player on your board from your university of choice in terms of college basketball rooting interests. Franz Wagner out of the University of Michigan, and he's a guy who was one of the best defenders in college basketball last year. Six foot nine, could credibly guard pretty much anybody two through four in the NCAA, and I think we'll be able to do the same in the NBA. On the offensive end, he has a solid enough handle to sort of create looks for himself as a secondary guy. He's not a primary type at all. But, you know, he's got a good enough handle that he can create looks for himself off the dribble. He's not someone who you can just force off the three-point line. And additionally, he's got a solid shot. I think you're a little bit lower on his shot than I am. It's a bit slow. He could definitely serve to speed it up a bit. But the mechanics are solid, and, you know, it's not just a three-point cats-and-shoot type of thing. He's not great off the dribble, but he can take those looks. He can take mid-rangers as well, fallaways, step-backs, that type of thing. He's a great cutter as well and can finish looks around the basket. And he is all right in the post, I guess, but I think that that is an area where he could really serve to improve, especially since if he's going to be a 6'9 wing slash guard type, a little bit better of a post-up game could be really helpful, allow him to dominate smaller guys down low. He's in the 88th percentile offensively per synergy and is in the 93rd percentile in cuts, which is going to be really huge for him. He was also in the 87th percentile in the half court and 92nd percentile when you're including half court scoring and assists. He's also in the 81st percentile defensively, but the pick and roll is, you know, a huge defensive part of the NBA these days. And he was in the 88th percentile guarding the pick and roll roll man and the 77th percentile guarding pick and roll ball handlers. So his fit at the next level is going to be basically as a three and D type. And the three maybe is a bit iffy, but certainly defensively, he's going to be a really solid player pretty quickly at the NBA level. 
Grimes going back to school for his sophomore season was really important, I think, for not only his draft stock, but just his overall development as a player. And I, I think he took, you know, one of the biggest and most meaningful jumps as a player in the country this season. Um, you know, March Madness, he didn't have the best showing. And I think he kind of proved that being that number one guy on a team or in a rotation probably isn't his most likely outcome. So, you know, for that reason, I struggle to get him into the top 10 for kind of rankings. I, I understand people who have, who are that high on him because there's so much to like about his game. He's such a well-rounded uh, cerebral player who does a lot of, you know, the little things really well and really consistently and that all contribute to winning basketball. But I just, I don't see him taking that step to be that elite initiator, to be that elite scorer, to be that number one option on a team. So in the, like that, that late lottery, I think would be an incredible landing spot for him because he's, he's just such a talented and intelligent two-way player. His feel for the game is really impressive and the the body transformation he saw between his freshman and sophomore year at Michigan really helped him show off and, you know, sh- show off those skills that he kind of struggled with his freshman season because he just, he wasn't strong enough to deal with, you know, older and more physical players. But this year we really saw his absurd defensive versatility. I mean, he, he's not the most athletic guy out there, but he has really impressive perimeter footwork and really good length to help contain guys on drives. He fights through screens. He's a really smart off-ball player with his rotations and tags and, you know, jumping passing lanes and all of that stuff. Um, offensively, I I think the shot is fine. I don't think it's like, it's a bad, it's the worst part of his offensive game. And it's not you know, a glaring issue. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a 40 plus percent shooter from outside, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, a, a negative or a liability from out there. I, I, I think the most intriguing part of his offensive repertoire though, is his ability to play make and, you know, attack rotations and really get the most out of advantageous positions because, you know, he's not going to be this primary playmaker, but as a secondary or tertiary guy, I could see him being one of the best in the league at that. So you mentioned how it was huge for him to go back to Michigan for his sophomore season. And his playmaking is, I think, one of the other ways, you know, in addition to him gaining strength and getting better on the defensive end because of that, he tripled his assist numbers from his freshman season to his sophomore Mm -hmm. season. And, you know, I agree with you that I don't think he's ever really going to be a primary guy. But, I mean, given that he's got a very functional handle and he's getting better at making plays for other guys and, you know, he was at 34% from deep this past season in college, 83% from the line. So, you know, both of those underlying numbers suggest to me that he's going to be a solid three-point shooter. I don't think that he is going to hit the 40% range either, but you know, him being six, nine and as good as he is on the defensive end, when you combine that with him having really solid secondary tertiary playmaking skill set, you know, he could fit in pretty much anywhere in the NBA. And that's why I ended up having him at 13th. So slightly higher than you had him on your big board. But I mean, it's, 
really hard to see him flaming out, I guess, is another way of putting it, because his defensive skill set is great, and he's good enough at enough different things offensively that, you know, he'll find a fit somewhere, whether he's a 6'9 shooting guard type or, you know, whether teams tend to use him as a small ball four if he can bulk up a little bit. He has a lot of utility sort of in many different potential positions in a rotation, and that I think will be huge for his draft stock going forward. But we sort of covered his strengths at this point. What are you concerned about with Wagner at the next level? Uh, so, and so for, for one is the shooting. I mean, he, there isn't anything inherently wrong with his mechanics, I and mean, his mechanics look good. Um, it's just the consistency from out there. And when, when you watch him, you know, you go through the, the quote-unquote eye test and you, you expect him to make, to make a lot more than he does. But, you know, I, I, I think it's given the mechanics, I, I think he'll eventually get there. I think a lot of it is a confidence thing um, throughout the season. You'd see him get really hesitant. Um, but, you know, he, he was pretty comfortable when defenders would go under screens or handoffs um taking just like that one dribble rhythm pull up he was pretty comfortable with that um so i i think it's more so just a confidence thing and you know he is super young for you know being a sophomore and he's the same age as zaire williams and Cade, and even younger than scotty barnes um so i mean there could still be a, a huge you know leap in his developmental curve um i would also like to see him kind of really work on his ball security um in college he was really good at you know attacking those rotations and kind of being that secondary playmaker but his handle isn't super advanced and he could be prone to turnovers on just you know simple digs from help defenders and you know then finally it's it's the lack of explosiveness um i you know he's good laterally he's makes up for a lot of it with his footwork and his length but he isn't the most you know explosive guy out there so that that will limit him a little bit on you know with his at-room finishing and his on-ball defense um and you know really if and uh, any weak side rim protection if you're expecting any from him i don't think it'll be a ton um so he'll be slightly limited in those areas but he makes up for a lot of that with his just general IQ, footwork, um, instincts, and, and length. So you mentioned the ball security in addition to some minor concerns about his shooting. I definitely buy the shot a little bit more than you do, but sort of similarly to the ball security and shooting issues, for me, it's really just more about consistency. I mean, his mm-hmm. last game of the season, he shot one for 10 in the NCAA tournament. And that's going to stick in a lot of people's minds. And, you know, we've talked before about how much we dislike it when people judge a prospect's entire body of work based on their play in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, really for me, it wasn't as much about the fact that he had his worst game of the season at the worst possible time, but the fact that he can be really inconsistent. He can go for stretches where his shot looks great and he's knocking it down and he's, you know, throwing passes out there that he might not normally make. And he can also go through stretches where he's turning the ball over a lot and getting frustrated on the offensive end and that jumper stops falling. And, you know, you mentioned the confidence and that sort of goes hand in hand with the consistency. You know, if he's missing a bunch of shots and then can't get back into the flow of it, you know, that's a big problem. And 
especially since at the NBA level, he's almost certainly going to play a smaller role in his team's offense than he did at Michigan. You know, he's going to have to be able to get better at staying consistent rather than just letting a few bad possessions sort of throw off the rest of his game. And and I kind of hope that early on in his career, he does fall into one of those smaller, you know, roles on the wing where he isn't asked to do as much as he was asked or had to do in the tournament because once Isaiah Livers went down I mean, he was so important to that team's spacing and ball movement and defensive versatility and once you know he got hurt Franz had to take over all of that and you know that, that was a, a huge ask and Franz wasn't ready for it so you know he is still super young so maybe he, he eventually gets there and develops into that role but I think early on he'll be at his best and really making the biggest impact in those smaller roles where, you know, he's attacking closeouts where he's running, you know, the second or third pick and roll of a possession where he's, you know, switching and rotating on defense and tagging the roller and cutters. And he's not asked to do that initial primary scoring or creation. If he's asked to do that from the start, um, you know, that it could, you know, damage his confidence some, but I don't, I, I would be really surprised if a team drafted him, and brought him in to kind of to fill one of those primary roles because I, I just don't think that he's, you know, ready for that right now necessarily. So quickly before we move on to the next prospect on the list, just sort of a best guess at ceiling and floor and how we view him as a prospect overall. I think Wagner is someone who's very high floor, but also pretty low ceiling. I mean, I don't think he has the athleticism and ball handling skills to really ever be a primary guy, but given his defensive prowess, his solid enough, I think, shooting and the rest of his offensive game, I would be surprised if he is a bust. You know, I think that he's going to have a solid NBA career, you know, maybe even a decade-long career as sort of a role player slash fourth or fifth starter type. You know, I very much believe in his NBA future. I just don't think he has a really crazy high upside. Yeah, and I, I think his absolute kind of peak um, outcome would be like a two or three-time All-Star, where he's this like a the third best player on a contender, like a legitimate contender, where he's filling in all those roles on the side and his shot really does come along and it's reliable um you know off the catch and off the bounce and he's kind of that his offensive game does take that next leap I think defensively I, I think he's almost a surefire positive on that end um so I think you know worst case I think he's an extraordinary six man um and you know most likely he's just a really solid starter for his whole career All right, up next, the number 16 prospect on your board, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. And the thing with Corey Kispert is the first thing that jumps out at people is the shot, one of the best shooters in the country. But it's not just the shot. He has a very diverse offensive game overall in the 99th percentile offensively per synergy. It's wild. Hard to do much better than 99th percentile offensively. And on the defensive end, he was almost exactly average 48th percentile per synergy overall, but much better than that on ball handlers, 68th percentile, even though really his strength is more his off-ball defense than his on-ball defense. You know, going back to the offensive game, he's a good driver. He's got a solid handle, especially for a secondary guy. 
He gets up pretty quickly around the rim. I think, honestly, my hottest Corey Kispert take is that when you combine the fact that he gets really good elevation on his jump shot with the fact that he's got a good second jump and is bouncier than you think, I think he honestly, when you combine that package together, is actually arguably an above-average vertical athlete. Definitely not in terms of lateral movement or speed up and down the court, but he's got a good second jump, and he does throw down some dunks and some alley-oops, and you know that's before even getting into the shot, which is, you know again, he gets really good elevation on it, and he shoots basically every kind of shot you could want. You know, Really deep spot-ups, really good at shooting off screens, can make mid-range pull-ups and leaners, and even takes the occasional step back. I mean, the shot is definitely going to be his calling card in the NBA, but just calling him a shooter really undersells the rest of his offensive game. You know, he can get to the rim if you close out on him hard at the three-point line, and he is, you know, pretty solid around the basket, especially when he's got room to take off. He can do some stuff around the rim, which is definitely not what you expect from sort of the pure shooter archetype. So at the beginning, we, we mentioned about how Kuminga's started catching a ton of slander based on, you know, very little besides lack of recency. And Kispert's kind of fallen into that same realm, too, where I feel like people are just starting to overthink it. Um elite shooters are kind of hard to come by in the league and they're extraordinarily valuable. And I, I think at, at its base level, that's exactly what, what Kispert is. I mean, he's 96 percentile shooting off the dribble, 81st shooting off the catch, 93rd on all jump shots, 97th in transition, 87th as a pick and roll ball handler, 95th spotting up uh, 93rd percentile as a cutter. I mean, the, he, he's going to be able to score at a really, 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 really efficient level. And I mean, people are just downgrading his game as he's just this spot up shooter. Um, And I I think what so frequently gets forgotten is that Kispert's a big dude. I mean, he's like six, seven, six, eight, two twenty, And he's a big guy. He's not JJ Redick out there where he, he's going to get abused because of his size. And it it it's just, it just does a disservice for what the type of player that Kispert is and was this last season because he was incredible. Um, I I don't think he's going to be the stellar defender, but he's a really smart defender with his rotations and off ball positioning. Uh, yeah, he'll get blown past by quicker guys because the quicker guys blow past everyone. Um, so and I don't I think he'll end up just kind of being a, a neutral on defense. Um, but besides the shooting, uh, his, his on offense, I, I think his passing gets slept on a lot too, where he's an excellent ball mover. The ball never sticks with them. Uh, he's great at finding cutters and the roll man. Um, and if his shot isn't there, he's, he's just a really quick decision maker and really accurate passer. So, you know, he's not going to be initiating the offense or anything, but he's, going to put the defense on their heels with how quickly he's making decisions, you know, whether he's attacking the closeout, shooting right away, swinging the ball, you know, whatever it is, he's going to be such a positive on the offensive end. Yeah, the offensive game is a lot more diverse than people give him credit for. 
I'm not sure I'm as high on his playmaking overall as you are, but definitely in terms of quick decision making, you know, he might not have the kind of full passing toolkit that you would want for a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. But, you know, given that he's just such a ridiculous shot maker from almost anywhere on the floor, you know, him being a quick decision maker is really more important than him having the full passing toolkit. And being 6-7, you know, makes a huge difference, both in terms of his impact defensively, you know, that makes it a lot easier to sort of project him as a neutral to average defensive player. And, you know, on the offensive end, when you combine that 6-7 height with the elevation that he gets on his jumper, He can shoot over a lot of guys, whereas, you know, as you mentioned with J.J. Redick, you know, you're 6'4", maybe, you know, it makes it a lot harder to get those looks off, whereas with Kispert, you know, he might not be the fastest guy in the world, so maybe you can afford to put, like, a power forward type on him, but he has the kind of elevation where he's not just going to get stuffed by guys on that jump shot. Yeah, and and just to to go back to the the playmaking, it's not that I think he's going to do a lot of, like, you know, on-ball creation because I, I I think that you know his individual shot creation I think is his biggest weakness it's more so that you know when, when he's on the wing and the ball swings over to him he's making that snap pass to the corner shooter or you know the quick give and go um it's it's not that he's going to be necessarily passing guys open or creating these crazy passing lanes or anything it's more so just he's really accurate and is really confident about where he's going to put it. And, you know, just, it's more so, you know, uh, how, how impressive his playmate or not his playmaking, how impressive his decision-making is um, versus how great of a playmaker he is. So you mentioned how one of your biggest concerns about him slash one of his biggest weaknesses in your mind is his individual shot creation. And I think that's a really good point to go back to, you know, he does his step back looks all right when he takes it, but he took so few of them. And the thing for me is I'm wondering how much of that is just the fact that he was playing in this Gonzaga offense where, you know, it was very rare that a Corey Kispert step back was going to be a better look than, you know, throwing the ball to Jalen Suggs or throwing the ball to Joel Ayayi or getting it to Drew Timmy in the post. You know, they had so many weapons offensively that Kispert didn't really have to create all that much for himself. You know, he could just run off screens and knock down those shots or get out in transition. And I think that he could really stand to work on that step back because just given how great his shot is and how quick it is and how good his elevation is on that shot, you know, the step back is becoming a more and more important weapon in today's NBA. And honestly, him just adding that to his bag, that alone could really make up for a lot of deficiencies in terms of creating shots for himself. At Gonzaga, he really didn't have to do any of that. Um, I mean, he ran a total of three isolation possessions the entire season. Um, So I'm fully with you that I don't think that if he's asked to go create his own shot, that he's going to do it because I I don't think he has the ball handling to do that. Um, If if he can introduce, you know, a step back, I I think that'd be huge, but we just haven't seen any of that from him. So I'm not sure how confident I would be in that coming along anytime soon. Um, You know, when he's given a screen though, you know, he's a lot better at, you know, using that to create space for himself instead of just his, ball handling 
when he dribbled off the pick, he scored 1.889 points per possession, which is absurd, and 1.3 when he took it to the basket. So when when he has that screen to create the space for him, he's way more effective. But if if he's just you know put put in space and has to get his own shot, I, I have almost zero confidence that he'll be able to do that. So going back to his season at Gonzaga, where, you know, he had an exceptional year once again, the last game of the season for him, you know, kind of like Franz Wagner left a bitter taste in people's mouths. But I mean, other than the lack of sort of isolation scoring, he did basically everything that you could reasonably expect and or want from him on the offensive end. And I want to go back to it again, just because it's such a ridiculous thing. 99th percentile offensively and you know yes he had a lot of help from his teammates being exceptional as well that created you know maybe a bit more open space for him than he might have otherwise gotten but especially if he does end up at this part of the first round where we both have him you know just outside of the lottery I mean if he goes to a playoff team that's just going to have him running off screens and knocking down looks and you know throwing down open dunks when he's got an easy lane to the basket he could be someone who really has an impressive rookie season. You know, he might even sneak onto one of the all rookie teams if he gets hot enough from three point range and ends up in the right spot. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him have, you know, a Desmond Bain esque rookie season. And you, you mentioned the national title game, and he, he did really struggle with that. And a big reason for that was that, you know, Davion Mitchell spent a lot of time defending Corey Kispert and Davion Mitchell is the best guard defender in the country, uh, at least in my opinion. And, you know, on a nightly basis in the NBA, yes, the general level of defender is higher than in college, but he's not going to be having the team's best defender on him on a nightly basis. If he does, that's, you know, it's probably better for the team because it'll open up some you know, it'll open up the primary initiator for, for more opportunities. But when he has, you know, the third guy who's tasked with sticking with him through screens and sticking on his relocations and his cuts and dealing with his ball movement, I, I think he's going to be just fine having a positive Im- impact. Yeah, you brought this up with Franz Wagner, and I agreed with you there. And I also agree with you on the Kispert front where – If he's a primary guy, I think he's even less likely, honestly, to be a primary guy than Franz Wagner is. But if you have if you have Corey Kispert as your third guy on the offensive end, I mean, you know, that's just going to be crazy levels of, you know, running off screens, getting shots. And, you know, if he's your third guy, I would expect a few ridiculously efficient offensive seasons from Corey Kispert. Yeah, and I mean, I I know it's cliche and may seem lazy to compare him to Joe Harris, uh, but they're they're so similar in play type, and you know that's not to discredit Joe Harris because Joe Harris is you know may, maybe best case scenario for Kispert, but what Joe Harris has done for that Brooklyn Nets offense is incredible and a big reason why you know they're as good and deadly offensively as they are. You know, not to discount the three Hall of Famers they have on their roster either. I mean, he's their fourth best player on offense, and that's why they're arguably the best offensive team of all time. Because, you know, if you're getting Joe Harris wide open three-point looks, good freaking luck. And, you know, I honestly, 
having watched a lot of Joe Harris, I think that Corey Kispert might actually have a slightly higher upside just because I think that I think he's a better athlete, honestly. And he also has an inch or two on Joe Harris. So maybe he doesn't get to the same defensive level as Joe Harris, who has gotten to the point where he's really solid on that end, actually. But I think that there's a chance that Corey Kispert could maybe make an all-star game or two if he has a really hot shooting start to a season. I'm not sure I see that for Joe Harris, but then again, if he were the third guy on a team rather than the fourth guy on a team, he might be able to do that as well. Yeah. So for for me, I, I think if Kispert ends up being, you know, just that Joe Harris type player, I, you know, I think that's maybe the 90th the 95th percentile outcome for him. Um, so and I, I do think there is a little more room for him to go because just like looking back on Joe Harris coming out of college, he's a very different player than, than he is now. And I, I think Kispert, you know, when you just look at them based on where they were at this point in their careers, I, I think Kispert at this point is, is a much better player than Joe Harris was then, um, you know, who, who knows how much more, growth Kispert has to do in that area but I I do think that he has that potential to really take an offense to just bump up their efficiency to that next level because of his decision making and just how deadly he can be as a shooter so we sort of already touched on this but just quickly before we wrap up and move on best guess at ceiling and floor for Kispert the floor I think is really really high I mean he could very easily end up as a below, well below average defender, but I don't think he's ever going to be atrocious on that end. You know, he's got no. good enough positioning and instincts that he's not going to be a serious liability on that end. And, you know, the offense with his shooting and decent enough off the bounce game makes me think that his floor is probably like seventh or eighth man in a rotation. His ceiling, again, you know, I could see him maybe making an all-star game or two, especially if he has a really hot shooting start to a season and he's like the third best guy on a number one or number two seed. But, you know, even that is a bit of a stretch, but I would think that he's got a very, very good chance to be a solid starter for a very good team. Yeah, I'm not not sure that. I think all-star is a little lofty, um, but I think third guy on, you know, a top three offense wouldn't shock me. Um, otherwise, just a, a really quality, reliable, you know, top six, seven rotation guy, I think is kind of worst case scenario because just with his combination of size, basketball IQ and, and shooting, you know, he's going to have a spot in the rotation for a really long time. All right, and now moving on to the third and final prospect for the day, Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. He is just a ridiculous, ridiculous athlete, especially vertical athlete, and that's going to be the calling card for him at the NBA level. The handle is okay, but it's not great. On the offensive end, he takes a few more mid-range jumpers and pull-ups than I really think he should. You know, there are a lot of times where I would hope that he could drive all the way to the rim and he kind of just gets stuck in that 12 to 15 foot range. On the defensive end, he's got really great upside as sort of a lockdown guy. You know, he's great at chase down blocks. He's pretty solid, both on ball in terms of steals and off ball jumping into passing lanes. 
The thing that surprised me the most about him, looking at his synergy numbers, he was in the 37th percentile offensively, which is not great, but you know, not that much worse than what I kind of expected. And he's in the 80th percentile as a cutter, which definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, he has great instincts for cutting and his ridiculous athleticism means once he gets anywhere close to the rim, you know, he's liable to throw down a highlight dunk. But the thing that shocked me the most was he was in the 17th percentile in transition on the offensive end. And that is shockingly bad and really concerning in terms of his NBA future. Now, you know, he is the kind of athlete where, who knows, maybe that was just sort of a weird season at Tennessee and a weird sample size, but that percentile in transition, that 17th percentile ranking in transition is maybe the most concerning thing for me about his game and his offensive game in particular, but you know, given his athleticism, he definitely has the defensive upside. And the 80th percentile as a cutter gives me at least a little bit of confidence that he can sort of find a role in an NBA offense if his defense gets to the level that it probably can. This Tennessee team this year was, I, I think, the most disappointing team for me, maybe in college basketball. Um, yeah, I, I guess Kentucky would probably be up there too. But I, yeah, I, I think you really- kind of have to go with Kentucky <laughs> for that one. Just the amount of talent on this team, though, I mean, I I feel like Rick Barnes did such a poor job of really maximizing it. And, you know, not not to take out Santiago Vescovi on a drive-by here, but he should not be your lead point guard. And majority of the time, that's who was running their offense. And this team just really, you could just really tell that they were missing that point guard. And I, I think Keon's a better or will be better in transition than those than the numbers initially, you know, point to, because I, I don't think they really had anyone to run transition. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's also an indictment on him that he wasn't part of that. Um, but I, I agree with you that his, his explosiveness is absurd and he's probably, you know, in that top tier of athletes um, in, in this class. I think that really shines through on the defensive end. I, I trust that he'll be a good defender at the next level. I'm just not sure how much of an offensive impact he'll have. And that's why I, I'm way lower on him than consensus. And when I see all these mock drafts come out with ESPN and Bleacher Report and The Athletic and you know yada, 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 Keon's consistently kind of in like that top six to nine range. And I, I just, I don't see it. Uh, you, you mentioned his ball handling, which I think is more concerning. Um, he he has almost no wiggle. He's he's a really effective straight line driver, and that's because of that burst and then that vertical explosion. So if, if he's given a lane, he can be really effective. But he's you know that's not a super common thing to have in the NBA, and he's really going to struggle at creating an angle to the rim. Um, and then finally, I, I really just don't buy the shot and 27th percentile shooting off the jump or off the dribble 69th and shooting off the catch when unguarded, which is encouraging, but plummets to 37th percentile when he was guarded. I, I know it's tacky to and cliche to say that the shooting will be the swing skill because it is with every player, but I really think if Keon shot never really comes around and I hesitate to believe that it will, um, I just struggle to see how he'll really get minute, le- legitimate minutes in a rotation. 
yeah, you and I are definitely in the same boat on Keon Johnson. I mean, you had him at 17. I had him at 16. I don't think he's a lottery guy at all. And I am really, really, really worried about the shot. I mean, not only was he not that great in any sort of situation with a jump shot. I mean, he shot 27% from deep, but honestly, more than that from me, it's a really, really slow jumper. And, Mm -hmm. you know, him having that slow of a jump shot and knocking it down at, or rather not knocking it down at the rates that he was missing them, that's really concerning for me, especially since, as you mentioned, you know, he's good at straight line drives, but not really that good at anything else. You know, if he can't knock down shots at a consistent rate that lack of wiggle combined with his poor shooting will make it really easy to deal with him on the offensive end. And, you know, you you can always counter and have him, you know, cut in, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to shoot it somewhat. So, you know, maybe he ends up bulking up a little bit and maybe slide in into like a Greg Brown or uh, yeah, uh, role for like we're seeing on the nets and but you know that's it's kind of a one-of-one situation in the nba right now and you mean I'm, bruce brown right bruce brown yes sorry yeah um, no, I, I was about to say i think that's a really great comparison for keon because he has the kind of skill set that you know he could be a six five role man type and given how successful bruce brown has been in that role this season i think that's a role that could expand a lot in terms of nba importance going forward and if he can't really shoot and can't really create for himself off the dribble that I think is going to be the best fit for him offensively and then his ceiling is just going to depend on what he can do on the defensive end yeah so I I completely agree but the problem with that is there's one team that really utilizes that so you know we're seeing a little bit of it from like Terrence Mann with the Clippers too so maybe if he falls a little bit and goes to one of those teams where you can slide into that type of role um, maybe he can you know, really carve out something in that realm while his shot slowly develops because I, I just think his shot has a long way to go. It's slow. It looks like he's overthinking every little aspect of it. It doesn't look fluid. Uh, he doesn't look confident in it, but he does play with that competitiveness and that dog like those other guys we just talked about, like they play. And so I, I think that with his defense will carve out some sort of role, but if if that if the ball handling, if the playmaking, if the shot, if none of those ever really, really take a significant jump, I just, I don't see what type of impact he has on a rotation. So we've mostly gone over the weaknesses and concerns, mostly because we're both a little bit to a lot of bit lower on Keon than consensus. But I do want to talk about the positives here before we sort of discuss ceiling floor and you know, the positives for him are going to be on the defensive end. You know, he is a great athlete, as we've mentioned before. You know, that's really going to be the calling card for him. But he's also really good at being a defensive playmaker, which, you know, isn't as important as, you know, being solid, sticking to your scheme, sticking to your man. But, you know, the fact that he is that kind of athlete does definitely give me hope for him improving on that 17th percentile in transition because if he's ripping the ball from guys one-on-one or jumping in passing lanes, you know, that's going to be a great avenue for him to sort of get those wide open lanes to the basket. And when you give Keon Johnson a wide open lane to the basket, you better get your camera ready. 
Yeah, the, the the play that always stands out to me. I forget which team it is, so I guess maybe it doesn't stand out that much. But it's on an inbounds play where at, he he screens and then cuts off, cuts to the rim, and just explodes over a seven footer. And hit just w- w- when he's at the at the rim, he's a really fun finisher. And that explosiveness, I you know, pound for pound, I'm not sure there's a more impressive athlete in this draft. So now let's go to ceiling and floor, best guess at ceiling and floor. And it's funny that we have Keon Johnson in this podcast with Corey Kispert and Franz Wagner, who both of us think have very, very high floors. Keon, I could definitely see a world in which he busts out after his first contract. And especially if he does end up going in the mid to late lottery, I could see him very quickly flaming out at the NBA level and being considered a disappointment. On the flip side, though, if he can improve that shot a little bit and if he can get to a team where he's a secondary guy, he definitely has all-star upside if everything goes right. And, you know, that'll require a huge overhaul of the shot. But when you combine his athleticism with his defensive potential if you give that guy a shot, you know, you're saying the shot is the swing skill as it is for pretty much everybody, but Keon Johnson with a great jump shot is a guy who has all-star upside. Keon Johnson without a jump shot and without some significant improvements elsewhere on the offensive end is a guy who might be out of the league after his first contract. I, I pretty much agree across the board there. One of the ball handling, playmaking, and shooting has to make a significant jump. Otherwise, he's going to be a defensive specialist, and we're, we're seeing those guys quickly fade out of the league because if, if you can't consistently, you know, be at least a neutral on offense, um, it, it's becoming harder and harder to get legitimate minutes in a game. All right, so before we wrap things up here, I just wanted to do a couple of quick comparisons. So let's start off by a Franz Wagner and Corey Kispert comparison. So the question on my mind in sort of comparing these two guys is, who has the higher offensive upside in your mind? And for me, I think that Kispert has a higher floor on the offensive end just because his shot is so much further along than Wagner's. But, you know, Wagner also has three years of youth on Corey Kispert, which, you know, is also worth considering when you're sort of talking about his offensive upside. But I think that Wagner might ultimately have the higher offensive upside just because, you know, he's got a couple of inches on him. And if he can go from a 34% three-point shooter to a 39-40% three-point shooter, then, you know, I'm not sure I think he's going to be a two or three-time all-star like you, but I think that Wagner's defensive prowess means that I think he's more likely to make an all-star game than Kispert, even though I think that both of them could you know, make one, maybe two all-star games if they have really hot starts to the season from long range. And that's easier to see with Kispert just because we've seen him being that ridiculous level of shooter so far in college, but... I do think that Wagner can get to the point where he's an above average three-point shooter. You know, maybe I'm more optimistic on that front than you are. So I would have to say ultimately that I think Wagner has the higher offensive upside, but I think that Kispert is more likely to reach his offensive ceiling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I guess. Um, And I I would 
so I, I I don't think Wagner will ever reach the shooting levels of Kispert. I I think that's Kispert's going to be an elite shooter his whole career. But I think already Wagner already does more on offense and put, can put pressure on the defense in different ways, um, most specifically off the bounce than than Kispert can or really ever will be able to do. So I, for this question, I. I tend to lean pretty heavily towards Wagner just because he's proven that he can run the pick and roll already. Um, he can, you know, play, make off the bounce. He can attack rotations. Um, I, I, I do think the shot will improve. Um, so all, just all of those tools, I think he's just way more versatile. And when you combine all of that, I, I think that you get a really kind of dynamic and versatile um, wing. And then we've already done this comparison during the Jaden Springer podcast, but you know, I want to bring it up on the flip side, the Keon versus Jaden Springer comparison. And I'm lower on Keon than consensus as we've already sort of talked about, but I am slightly higher on him than I am on Springer, mostly because a, I think the 43% three point shooting for Springer is a mirage. That's a factor of the fact that he took 46 of them all season. And I think got a little bit lucky on that front. And I'm much more worried about Jaden Springer's ability to score inside at the next level than I am about Keon Johnson. But you have Springer as a latter end of the lottery pick at number 10. Whereas I have both of these guys, you know, just outside the lottery, but middle of the first round. So what are your thoughts on sort of the comparison between Keon and Springer, especially given what we saw from them at Tennessee this past year? I, I definitely lean Springer. Um, and it's not by a ton, but I, I'm I'm more intrigued and was more encouraged with what Springer showed. I, I think he's way more dynamic off the dribble. Um, I, I think he's a really good on ball defender um he's he's not the same you know uber athletic defender that Keon is but he's really smart he's really strong and I, I think he will be a really good defender and then I, I I trust the shot coming along I think his mechanics look smoother I think he needs to be more confident out there but I, I think he has a much more promising starting point for his shot than Keon does and I, I, I tend to kind of agree that I think Keon will be a better interior finisher, but Springer showed way more playmaking once he got into the paint with driving dumps or kickouts. So in that aspect, I, th- I think he, he brings a little more to the table. Um, I, I completely agree that the three-point percentage that Springer had really can't be counted on for anything. And uh, just because there's a negligible sample size, but I, I think the consistency, the touch, the the free throw percentage, um, the age, the on ball defense, all of that is more promising for me for a a, a, a better player, or at least a better, uh, more likely outcome for a better player. All right. Anything else you want to go over here before we wrap things up? Don't think so. I, th- I think we covered those guys pretty thoroughly. Uh, sh- should have a couple scouting reports and Timberwolves stuff coming out in the next week or so. Uh, Jalen Green, 4,000 words on him was submitted. So hopefully that's out uh, this week. And yeah, that's about it. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. 
you can find his work on hashtag basketball as well as at Canis Hoopus for Timberwolves stuff. And you can find him on Twitter at T-N-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. You can find my work on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And in addition to this podcast, I also have recently appeared on the Ed Robinson Show a couple of times covering the first and second rounds of the NBA playoffs. So you can find links to those recordings on my Twitter profile as well. If you've been enjoying the show, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That's really helpful on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.